Well, first, I have a confession. <laughs> I'm uh, emotional this morning, so if uh, odd things happen during the sermon, you'll understand why. But we're going to really miss you guys. Uh, we have great love for this church and for the individuals in it, and we're very thankful for this season that God has given us to serve you all. It's uh, just been a great pleasure. So, um, don't want to get too mushy, but anyway. <laughs> Our sermon uh, text this morning is Proverbs 3, verses 1 through 12, and I've entitled it, God's Promises for the Wise. God's Promises for the Wise. You know, we have a lot to be thankful for. We've already talked about it a little bit, but the Sunday after Thanksgiving, uh, just so many things uh, that God has done, and sometimes we just sometimes forget that just, first of all, God loves you. He loves me. He's never going to change his mind. So that's one big thing of thankfulness because it, that means that no matter what you do, no matter what's happened this past week, as you come in here, God's love is unchangeable. You come in with a certainty, a knowledge that he will love you. He will meet you where you are and he will love you perfectly. And so he continues to pursue us. He continues to want to pour out more and more blessings upon us. And the reason that we don't get a maximum amount of blessings is because of our sinful nature. So often, as we'll see in the sermon here a little bit more, it's us who are straying. It's us who are struggling with different kinds of temptations. You know, as we saw in Matthew 4, as Jesus was being tempted by the devil, right now the devil really, the only power he has is the power of temptation. Christ is greater than he is. God's grace is greater. So it's the power of temptation that he tries to get us hold of our hearts and to get us to turn away from God and away from the word of God. And so another thing we have to be thankful for, of course, is just the gift of Jesus himself. He didn't have to come to the earth. He didn't have to come here and, and enter into this cesspool that nobody knew God and nobody was trying to know God and everybody was just gnashing teeth and trying to get their own way, just totally selfish. That's the way the world is without Christ. And so we gave, he, Jesus gave himself and he gave himself for you and for me. And of course, all that that entails. And he, he sent the Holy Spirit to dwell within us. I mean, these are things you know, but you know, as we come in here on a Sunday morning, we come in here to worship. And that means we're coming to thank God and to appreciate God and to remember what God has done for us because we need to know that because we're so tempted to do other things and run our lives in different ways and pull us apart from him. And so these are beautiful things to know that, my goodness, God the Holy Spirit lives in you. He lives within the body of Christ, the church. And that means he's living in us right now. And so these are things to be get excited of. We've been given a new heart. We're a new creation in Christ. The Greek says kinekatissus, a new beginning, a new creature. We've been born again. But that means that something dramatic has happened within each one of us. This new heart now that we're receiving and, and now with new desires. All our sins have been forgiven, both past and present. 
and future because of what Christ has done on the cross. We've been given eternal life. All these are amazing blessings. So thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, for sending your son. Thank you for doing these amazing things. And then, of course, there's all these heavenly treasures that are awaiting us. Jesus has already received them on our behalf. And because we're in Christ, we're the body of Christ, then we're going to receive them too. Not because we've earned any of it, but Christ has. And so we're wait for that. And so we can know that when Christ returns that we're going to be raised from the dead. We're going to be resurrected. We're going to get new bodies that are sinless. And they're going to be like Christ's body. And we're going to receive a portion of all that Jesus has received. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. I mean, these are amazing blessings. We need to remember them, especially on the Sunday after Thanksgiving, right? But, you know, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian yet and you're maybe searching and trying to figure out what is this thing about Christianity, about Jesus... And if you would like to receive these blessings, then you can. You can have these things. This is the great news for you this morning. God's glad that you're here. He's glad that you're searching. He wants to answer your questions. He wants you to hear more about this. He wants you to know that Jesus was sent to seek and save the lost. And that's how... Everyone who is a Christian has become a Christian because Jesus came to seek and save us as well. We all deserve death for all the sins that we've committed. But Christ has saved us from that. And so a Christian, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, a Christian is someone who confesses their sin, they've sinned against God, and they believe in their heart that Jesus was punished for those sins in their place on the cross. And they know that they're forgiven. They believe that. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is your Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Underline that. Italics, bold, everything, right? You will be saved. For the heart, with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So if you feel like, as a non-Christian this morning, that your heart is maybe warming or maybe being stirred towards what it means to become a Christian, you want to become a Christian, you want to receive these amazing blessings that you're not receiving right now, then, and even if you have some questions, Talk to somebody after the service. We're glad you're here. We want you to be asking questions and finding out more, just like we had to when we became Christians. We understand. And then, of course, the beauty is after we become Christians and we want to follow Jesus, he then gives us these great promises and awards and rewards when we walk wisely. See, sometimes we, we love grace and we talk about grace so much and we believe grace, and it is sufficient. But there's things that God asks us to do, to bless ourselves, 
And so that's what we're going to be looking at here. We're going to be looking at six life-giving principles that we are supposed to do as Christians. In other words, I, I don't know the Bible if I don't open the Bible, do I? God doesn't force me to open the Bible. God doesn't force me to pray. These are things that I do because he's given me new desires to want to do them. And he enables me to do them. And that's what having a new heart is all about. And that's the beauty of what God continues to do in us. But when we do look at these beautiful life-giving principles, there are amazing promises that are attached to them. And so when we do them, we know, you know, as God's children, wow, this is what I can expect. Of course I want to do this because look at the blessings that come out of it. And so wise people, people with wisdom, act wisely. And so when you have things like these six life-giving principles, and you try the best of your ability to do them. And that's what we're going to be looking at. So if you would please stand for the reading of God's Word. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. And he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him and whom he loves as a father of the son and whom he delights. This is the word of God. Please be seated. Let's pray. Father, uh, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for the way you teach us as a father does a son. Thank you for this personal relationship that we have with you. Thank you for the new hearts that you've given us. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who indwells us. Thank you for the new desires that we have as we get received a new heart and want to please you and, and walk in your ways. Praise you for these things, O oh Lord. Just may your spirit work powerfully in enlightening our hearts now with your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's look at our first life-giving principle and God's promise when we fulfill it. So verse one starts out with what is common as you look at the first like seven chapters of Proverbs with my son, my son. So this is a very relational uh, part of Proverbs, right? And so God is our father and he's speaking through Solomon, of course, but it's the father speaking to his children those who have a personal relationship with him. And that's a beautiful thing because before Christ came, 
We don't have a personal relationship with the Father, right? And so the things that we're looking at then is that God is speaking both to our minds and to our hearts. And I say that because a lot of times we're intellectually understanding things long before we understand them in our hearts, right? Somebody said that the longest distance in a human is the 18 inches from the head to the heart. <laughs> so you can, you can find people that are just great at theology. You see them in the seminaries, and, but they don't have any kind of relational ability whatsoever. And, you know, they just love theology. They want to teach theology. But the problem is they don't want to be with the people of God in the church. <laughs> I've had people say that to me when I was in seminary. Yeah, I just, be, I just love being a pastor except for the people. And so it's like, whoa, wait a minute. So mind and heart. And so we need both. One informs the other, right? So, and in our heart, of course, comes our emotional side, things we feel. And of course, most of the women are much better at that than the men. So we need that, that powerful move of the women speaking into our lives, men, right? And to help us understand far more than just the narrow path of uh, fact all the time, we need to have relational wisdom as well, or EQ, as people say, emotional, quit, uh, whatever Q stands for, quotient. <laughs> so uh, he's speaking to both our minds and our hearts here in Proverbs. And so life-giving principle number one says, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. So it's like the last part of the Ten Commandments, isn't it? God's always saying, do not, do not, do not. Why is that? How do you, for those of you who have children, do you ever say do not? <laughs> What's the first word a lot of your kids learn, right? No. <laughs> and, uh, and so that's how it works, you know, in our uh, nuclear families. And so God's saying as a father, he says, don't forget my teaching. I'm teaching you this for a reason. I want to bless you. I don't want, to, I want you to get into trouble and get hurt and damaged. And so when he says don't forget, well, that assumes something very important. You've had to learn it in the first place. Somebody's had to teach it to you. And you need to appropriate and say, yes, I'm going to hide God's word in my heart. So if so before you forget something, you have to know it first, right? I mean, that's pretty basic. And so this is what he's saying to his children. You know, I want you to know the word of God. I want you to treasure it and take time and to seek it, and read about it and sit in sermons and different places, teachings, just learn that. Don't forget then also means that we're to remember the word of God and how to apply it because that's where the wisdom comes in. You can, you can memorize the entire book of Proverbs and not understand how to apply it, and you won't have wisdom. See, that's the intellectual part. You can be great at memorizing, but you don't know how to apply it, and that's where the wisdom comes in. So we need to figure that out, and that comes over experience and time and different things and talking to other people and people explaining things sometimes that are maybe a little deeper and not as transparent in our understanding. And so we need to really remember the word of God and know how to apply it. And then he says, he commands us, let your heart keep my commandments. So there's an obedience issue here. So remember, you're being tempted all the time by the enemy because we all have divided hearts. And one side is trying to control all the time. And the other side is trying to control. This battle's going on. We looked at this in Galatians 5 a month or so ago. 
You see that battle that's going on in our hearts. We're prone to wander. Why is that? We're tempted to get off the path of life. And so here it says, let your heart, let means allow, allow your heart to keep my commandments. So it's important then that we do that because that's what wisdom brings in. And so what he's saying then is to walk in the fear of the Lord. And we've talked about that before. Remember, fear of the Lord says, you know, I'm totally loved by God and I don't want to get outside of his will because I know I'll get hurt because I'm being tempted to do these other things that will bring broken relationships and I'll be selfish. And so these are places where I don't want to go. Fear of the Lord says if I trust the Lord and I obey the Lord and I allow these words and commandments to really be kept my heart, then that's where I want to be. That's where success comes in life and how I live my daily life. And so the fear of the Lord then is is really what it's saying is, is that I yearn to know and obey and remember your commands, O oh Lord. That's what I want. And that's where my protection will be. And so then if, if, if I'm doing that, and then that leads to this promise number one. For length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. I hope that's a blessing to you guys. That's not promising you're going to live to be 105. Don't hear that. <laughs> It's not saying that you're going to live X number of longer years, promising and, you know, and saying, okay, this is the way it's going to be for you now. But what it is saying is that you're going to have peace in your daily life. And you're going to have this rich relationship with your heavenly father because you're going to draw close to him. His word is speaking to you. When you open up the scriptures, you know, I would hope that most of you are saying, wow, you know, God's speaking to me. You know, this is God talking to me. And every once in a while you get something and just jumps out at you off the page. And it's like, wow, that's something that God's highlighting for me. You're not hearing any voices, but you're reading the word. and You're being guided and directed by the word. All of a sudden, oh, this is what I should do. You know, a soft answer turns away wrath. Somebody's yelling at you. How do I respond? A soft answer. A soft answer gets their attention instead of yelling louder than they are and then nobody's hearing each other, right? A soft answer, somebody's, what did, what did you say? Right? So, I mean, there's simple things like that, practical things in how we're living out our daily life. And so, our lives, when they're characterized by peace, they're also characterized by reduced stress. And for the medical community in here, you know that stress actually hurts your physical well-being and your mental well-being. You have more stress, you have lack of peace, you have more anxiety. That is detrimental to your physical health. And so this is very practical, isn't it? So when you realize that that's what's going to happen, then what he's saying, when you're you know, lacking that stress, when you're not experiencing that much anxiety, then additional days and life will be added to you because you're going to stay healthier. You're going to stay healthier. And what this is saying is that our Father delights. He delights in adding days and years of life and peace due to less stress in our lives. He delights in doing that. And here's the way you're to do it. If you will do this, you're going to bless yourself like this. And you know you're going to enjoy each day a little bit more as well, right? 
not all full tight, you know, all these different things we have to worry about all the time. Everybody's got their own set of worries. Everybody in here is nobody that doesn't. But how much are you going to solve things if you're just focusing on your worry all the time? You see, a lot of times you don't know what it's going to look like, but you're worried. You want to control things. But God says, no, I want control. Let my commandments lead and guide you. Answer with a soft answer. He's going to bless you when you follow him. And so the reason we don't so often is because we have these competing desires then from our sin nature. We become wise in our own eyes and we say, no, I've got, I've got to make sure that this is the way I want it. So I have to ensure that. So I'm going to, I'm going to yell back because I want it my way to happen here. And whoever wins the argument is the one who yells the loudest. We know that doesn't work. Relationships are damaged. There's not peace. Get wise in our own eyes. Bad place to be. Verse 3 reveals life-giving principle number 2. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Well, the first thing that (laughs) when you read that, I'm assuming, I'm guessing most people in here would say, What's your neck got to do with anything, (laughs) okay? Well, the issue here, why it's said this way in the ancient Hebrew, different time of life is, what your neck is, is you are gonna, wherever your neck is, you're gonna be, right? Wherever you travel, it's like my neck is there, right? Right. So that's what it's referring to. When you bind them around your neck, it means wherever you go, then have these things with you. You're not gonna leave it behind, you're not gonna forget it, and so, Steadfast love and faithfulness should influence every choice that you make every day, all day long, every relationship that you have. They're part of us. We don't leave it at home. We don't act one way with one set of people, another way with another. Don't act one way at church and another way during the week. Always the same. I'm always going to have steadfast love and faithfulness. I'm not going to forsake them. And that's how we become good witnesses for Christ too, right? People need to know the love of Christ through us. And so when we're like that, usually what will take place is that wherever we go, we're always thinking about how to love and bless other people. How do I help people? What do they need to hear? How can I serve them? How can I encourage them maybe to know about Christ. What can I do if they're a neighbor? You know, take over a plate of cookies or whatever, but I'm always thinking about somebody else. I'm not thinking about me. And you see, that's the old sin nature. Once again, it's me, me, me. Selfishness is what's ru- you know, running my life. And when we do that, when we are allowing steadfast love and faithfulness, to be with us wherever we go when they're bound about our neck. And God promises this. We will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. That's something you want. You want success? Success from relationship? Favor in the sight of God and man, both. Wow. A life like that 
You're always serving other people, not being selfish. You're enjoying people, less stress, more enjoyable relationships. It's beautiful. So God promises we'll find that when we let steadfast love and faithfulness reign in our lives and all of our conversations. Verse 5 gives us life-giving principle number 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. I expect most of the congregation here this morning (laughs) knows that verse. It's very famous. Remember all the years when I've had new people join the church uh, and I'd ask them, well, what's your life verse, right? A lot of times we do that. I would say half the time people would use Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. I mean, it's a very well-known and beautiful uh, verse. And so he's saying that we are to trust the Lord completely. How much of your heart are you supposed to trust him with? What does it say here? This much? This much? This much? It says all. Everything. All of your being. Your entire heart. That's aimed at faith in God and trusting him. Trust is another word for faith. Very similar, isn't it? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Well, we find that very difficult at times, don't we? Well, staying on the path of life, the highway to heaven, if you will, depends on personal faith and a covenant-keeping God who cannot break his word. When Jesus came, he said, you've heard me, you've heard the Father. That's how much he lived the word of God. You've never heard anything except what he heard from God. That's why he's the living word, the logos, if you will. And so we know that he can't break his word. It's not possible. But it's hard for us, for all of us, to trust the Lord with all of our heart. It's tough because we want to run our own lives. That's in nature's fighting. It wants to take control back. Even after you've had great success in obeying the Lord and trusting the Lord for a season, some sort of circumstance is going to come up into your life and you're going to say, nope, I'm going to draw that trust back in and I'll take over again. It's a constant battle. We all have it. All of us. Just different things that we don't want to trust the Lord in. You know, self wants to take over again. But we're to hold nothing back. You know when you play poker? Some of you maybe know how to play poker, maybe not all. Anyway, whenever it comes time and somebody says, I have the winning hand and nobody can beat me, they say, I'm all in. And they push all their chips out into the middle of the table. Right? There's no chips left back here. I'm putting everything in. That's the idea here. That Jesus is our Lord and we're going to obey him. We're going to yield our will to his will. And so every decision that we make, we need to be asking the same question over and over and over and over. This is the only question, really, that's, that's important. What's God's will? What's God's will? See, so often we don't get around to that until after we sort through, what do I want? <laughs> What's my will? Sometimes we don't understand why things are God's will. 
God's much greater than we are. He's much smarter. He has all kinds of other things he's trying to accomplish just in trying to give me my way. So it's okay. And so what happens when we obey this? What happens when we trust in order to do it God's way? He says he's going to make our path straight. But that means there's no bumps. There's no holes in the path. There's no ramps going off the highway to heaven. He's going to make things level. They aren't going to be out there trying to pull out a bunch of weeds in your garden or something. It's, there's no weeds. So we need to have an attitude. We can never do this completely. We know that. We struggle. But it's the attitude. It's the heart desire that says, I want to trust you with all my heart. That's what God wants. He's talking to his children. We all know children struggle. But what you want in your child is to try to do what's right, even though they fail at times. But are they trying hard? Are they, try, are they understanding what the right way is? And so when we do trust him, then we learn more things about God, and we also get to know God better. We have more experiences that take place. And then we have Romans 12, 1 and 2, which is beautiful, which is really a summary statement of the gospel in chapters 1 through 11 <laughs> of Romans. So you come down to these first two verses of chapter 12, it says, Therefore, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. When you're yielding to what God wants in your life, you are worshiping God and you're saying, I trust you, God. I don't totally understand all that's taking place, but I'm trusting you because I know you have my best interest at heart. And I want to Walk in the middle of your will. Then it goes on to say here, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. There it is. What is the will of God? What is good and acceptable and perfect? And so how... Is your mind renewed? It's by knowing the Word of God. We have to know the Word of God because this is the way I will act selfishly, but this is the way God wants me to love. I'll have a soft answer instead of yelling back. And so this is a beautiful thing that takes place. We need to have our minds renewed. How do we react? How do we live out this gospel that we believe in? That brings us to life-giving principle number four. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. So when we're wise in our own eyes, there are a few things that we're not. We're not humble. We're not humble. We don't read the word of God. We want to run our own life. 
We're arrogant. We don't entrust our life to the Lord. We're too busy controlling it ourselves. So we wind up being arrogant and making selfish decisions all the time. And that's the fool's way. That's what the fool does. It's a path of destruction. A fool doesn't fear the Lord. A fool doesn't like the word of God. A fool doesn't turn away from evil. And so when we are not wise in our own eyes and we fear the Lord, a beautiful promise comes out. This is promise number four. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. There's actually a physical thing that happens when we're not wise in our own lives because we're not creating stress and harm in other people's lives. Our anxiety levels start coming down. And so this physical and mental healing, which it includes both, is a healing that's deep within our hearts. And it goes all the way down to the marrow of our bones. And it's a beautiful thing. We want that refreshment, don't we? We want that healing. So when that stress and anxiety is taken away, we get a, both a physical and a mental well-being resulting. It's beautiful. Our life is secure in our Father's care. He'll watch over us. Don't you want less stress in your life? I do. I don't like stress. There's good stress and bad stress, okay? I know that, right? And, and sometimes it's kind of fun to have the good stress, but I'm talking about the negative stress, right? That's the part we want to get rid of. God's life-giving principle number five says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce. Okay, put on your seat belts. This is where it gets a little meddling-like here, right? So our Father wants to honor him with the first fruits of all that we receive, acknowledging that he is the source of all good things in our lives. Everything good comes from him, everything. And so this is a particularly hard faith challenge for many people. I'm not saying anybody in here has a problem with this, <laughs> but some people do, some Christians, they struggle with this. Well, should I give the net or the gross? But the point is, it's the first fruits. It's the first fruits. Is it the first thing that you think about when you get a paycheck? Thank you, Lord. This is from you. You have given me this particular job, and now I've got this. You've given me the talents to do this job. And so these things are from you. And so I want to honor the Lord. I want to worship the Lord then by giving back the first fruits. That's what he's telling us. It's not confusing, is it? Does anybody doubt this? I mean, this is what it says right here, right? <laughs> so with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce, not some of it, all of it. So what does this mean? It means that when you're making up the family budget, hopefully you all have budgets, <laughs> and you're listing all the different bills you've got, right? 
What should be the very first thing, the very first item on that budget? Above all else, what's number one? What is this t telling us? Should be your tithe. Whatever you're giving to God, first fruits. That's number one. That's showing God that everything's coming from him. Everything. And by the way, the word tithe in both Greek and Hebrew, both, is 10%. So you can't, don't have any wiggle room here. <laughs> That's what God's talking about when he talks about the first fruits. But then look at the promise. Look at the promise when we honor the Lord in this way and acknowledge that all things come from him. It says, your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. You think, well, if I give this money away and give it back to the Lord, to the church or whatever else God's laying in my hand to support, well, my goodness, I'm not going to have enough other money. It's sort of counterintuitive, isn't it? But he's saying, no, trust me. And this is what I want to do for you. I'm going to fill your barns. I'm going to fill your vats to overflowing with wine. That's God's desires. But I'm too busy taking control of my finances. I'm trying to figure out the gross versus the net. <laughs> it's like, what? No, you're worshiping God. The left hand not know what the right hand's doing. And this is what the point is here. It all comes from him. And that's the great promise that he gives us. He's Jehovah Jireh. That's his name. He's God, our provider. And if you're here this morning and you've never tithed, then you may not, it's okay not to do a full tithe right away, okay? Maybe you want to start out with 1% or something, but talk to one of the elders here. You know, and kind of figure out a plan. How do you kind of get caught up? Because you've got a lot of bills already. Everybody knows that. And we're all busy spending to the max of what we have. And so sometimes it takes a little time, you know, a little wisdom, and how you can begin to incorporate these things. But when God sees your heart, he says, yeah, start with that 1%. That's better than none. Now you're starting to worship me. And God's life-giving principle number six is do not reject the Lord's discipline or weary of his, or be weary of his reproof. So all of us have a sin nature. We're his children, right? We know that. We have these hearts that are prone to wander. We have sin natures. They haven't been totally defeated yet. They keep tempting us. And so we all need discipline. It's not a pleasant thing to think about. But we need it. We're children, just like your children for those of you who have kids. You know, what happens if your little three-year-old says, you know, I want to walk across that road on my own? You say, no, don't do that. Hold mommy or daddy's hand. And if you don't, you're going to be disciplined. Well, what's the reason behind that? Protect the child. So, so much of what we're talking about here, and God's talking about the discipline, this is why you're not to reject it because in many ways God's going to protect us from things we don't even see, that we can't understand at that particular point. Kid doesn't understand that these cars and trucks are going to run right over them, kill them. And so there's many things we can't possibly understand or see. And so there's, there's discipline, 
where God wants us to grow and mature and have life, live successfully. You know, C.S. Lewis once said, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. Prayer lives usually get a lot better when we're in pain. We really see our need for the Lord at that point. We've busy, been busy living without God's direction, trying to run our lives the way we want to live them, and all of a sudden we wind, our, wind up in some big problem. God's got our attention. We need to grow and mature, and so this is how Christ-likeness occurs, because we see where we're failing. We're seeing where we're not in line with the Word of God. We see that maybe we're not even reading the Word of God. Maybe we're not praying, whatever. But now God says, hey, come back here. You know, I'm going to take care of you. And so turn back to your father. And so it's discipline's a form of God's love because he doesn't want us out there trying to cross a street that we might be endangering our lives in. You know, see all kinds of ways. I mean, if you have a child that loves to play with matches, one day the house might be burned down with your child. We don't know. I mean, these are things where discipline has got to come in. And so we see places like Proverbs 12.1 later on. It says, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. Well, I don't know how many of us would say we love discipline, but this is what the Word says. But he who hates reproof is stupid. Well, I'm kind of stupid sometimes, to be honest. I don't like reproof. I don't like to be disciplined. And that's probably my sinful side, right? 13.1 says, a wise son hears his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. God speaks through our fathers. Fathers are not perfect, but they're listening to a father's instruction so they'll be protected and watched over. And they're growing in wisdom because dads know a lot more about life than children do. And so what happens when, di when discipline takes place, when God applies discipline, it's like a, the dross of selfishness and sin that kind of gets boiled out of us and drops down as the dross, as the heat of the refiner's fire gets turned up. And we get more and more like, like Christ and we grow. Okay, so those are six beautiful things, life-giving principles as well as the promises that are associated with them. And the reason that we need those is because God wants to bless you. He wants to watch over you, give you guidance and wisdom and see that it's not just, just to obey something, right? It's because there's real tangible blessings, both physically and also to the people around you. But the catch here is this, if we obey them, if we obey them. So one of the things we can do is to really pray and ask God, really give me a hunger and a desire to, to take on these life-giving principles and anything else I find in the Word. Help me to obey these things because I want to be blessed. I don't want to put myself in danger, maybe in different relationships or trying to do something stupid that just my heart has just caught me up in this thing and I just feel like I want to do it and I can't live without it or whatever. And so, I don't want to continue to destroy relationships around me. I want to be uplifting to people. I want to build them up and not tear them down. So, I want to have the, 
the ability to make wise decisions in life. These are beautiful things. And so God enables us to do that. It's his grace that is the thing that helps us to desire and want the right things. And that's when we flourish. That's when we find less strain, less anxiety with life. We're trusting in God that he's going to watch over these things. He's going to bring the things I need at the time I need them. So not only has he saved us through his son Jesus, he's given us new hearts by his grace, but he's enabling us now until Christ returns. He's enabling us. He's pursuing us. He's watching over us. So take heart. Praise the Lord. It's by his grace that all these things are taking place. And look at what he promises you. He promises you abundant fellowship with him, favor and good success with God and man, making your path straight. He promises to bring healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Promises to fill your barns with plenty and your vats bursting with wine. And you will grow in Christ's likeness. His promises are great and they're beautiful. He deserves our worship. He's overcoming those who are still got divided hearts. And so he's going to protect us and watch over us as we walk through this life until we reach the far distant shore. And that's when we'll be able to see Jesus and sin no more. May our hearts be filled with joy as we worship him. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you not only have saved us, but as willful children, you continue to watch over us and guide and direct us. Give us hearts, Lord, that long for you, long for your word, and long for change of heart that we might grow more and more like you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.